All right, so let's begin lesson number six, advice for life. So they tell a story where two, good, morning, good afternoon, they tell a story where two friends meet. They meet after a little bit of, uh, of time away from each other, and one asks the other, how you doing? And the other one tells him, doing okay, but I went to the doctor, knew how did that go? He says, well, the doctor told me I have to quit drinking. He says, oi, uh, that's rough. So the guy says, I know it's going to be a big change for me. After 30 years, I'm going to have to find a new doctor. <laughs> okay, that one landed. They don't always land. They don't always land. I would say they usually don't land. Um, all right, next one. So I walked into Barnes & Noble, you know, to the, book, to the bookstore. They still have some. They still have some physical locations where you can buy a book that are not named after rainforest. So anyway, I walk into, uh, I walk into Barnes & Noble, and I ask the guy behind the counter for the area where they have the self-help books. He looks at me and says, well, if I told you, wouldn't that undermine the whole process? <laughs> okay, anyway, so, all right, that one, uh, a little iffy. Should have started with that one and finished with that one. I'm taking notes for tonight. All right, so we have saved, as always, we have saved the best for last. Throughout this course, we have shared, we have explored, we have discovered the advice, the guidance of the Rebbe. We've seen the Rebbe's take on work, <coughs> on family, on health, on, uh, on, on wellness, and on adversity. We've seen how the Rebbe counseled people from all walks of life, whether they were young or old, whether they were, I guess, what do you, what do you call it? private citizens or prime ministers. The Rebbe advised tens of thousands of people, tens and tens and tens of thousands of people, without exaggeration, in person and in writing through letters, in public addresses, etc. And over the years, the Rebbe was approached with a specific type of question, and that was vis-a-vis -vis personal growth and spiritual growth. What is the best way to grow personally? What is the best way to grow spiritually? And what we're going to do today is look at the Rebbe's advice on personal growth. What we'll see is that the Rebbe's approach was quite radical and quite revolutionary. Um, there, there are a lot of uh, uh, approaches that one could take to self-growth. Uh, self the Rebbe's take was quite revolutionary. What we're also going to do today is explore uh, the Rebbe's guidance on becoming an influencer. No, no, no. It doesn't mean you have to have like TikTok and Instagram on your phone, although that's fine also. But how to be a real influencer and the bonus round of today's conversation is I'm going to reveal for the first time ever, as it were, the secret to Chabad success. I've heard many people talk about this. What's the secret to Chabad success? Global, uh, global organization. What's it? Today, we're going to explore the secret, the key to Chabad's phenomenal global success. We have a wild ride in store. Buckle up because we're about to get started. I want to begin by exploring the very notion of personal growth because it seems, at least to me, that personal growth is almost inherent to the human condition. If it's almost like we naturally are not content with what we know, with who we are, with what we have. We, we're always looking and seeking for more to become better human beings. This is not just an observation that you and I might have, this is actually observed and written by none other than King Solomon himself in the book Kohelet Ecclesiastes. Let's take a look at text number one. We're going to begin with text number one. 
Jessica, if you don't mind, please, uh, please read text one on page 145. But before you start, let me just quickly check in. Does anyone need a copy? Copy? Oh, no, I think you got the... You... No, I put the Kabbalah book. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have to read. It, happens, it happens to me sometimes also. All right, everyone else is good? Okay, so let's... Jessica, please read text one from Kohelet. How many understand the spirit of the human ascends on high while the spirit of the beast descends to the earth? So look at that sentence. King Solomon is... Um, I don't know what the right word is. Maybe musing... He is uh, kind of observing that the Ruach Ha'adam, the Ruach B'nai Adam, the, the, the human spirit rises up, to quote the Atlanta Falcons uh, tagline, right, it rises up while the spirit of the beast, of the animal, goes down. There are many different ways to explain this. Spiritual, physical, soul, earth, whatever. But today I want to share a very simple explanation of this. Very simple. What does it mean that human beings ascend up and, and animals, you know, go down? It means this. The human being is unique in that we have this, as we're talking about today, this innate desire to grow, to develop, to better, to improve, to tweak, to fix. You know that famous line, if it ain't broken, don't fix it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it? We don't follow that. We fix things all the time that are not broke. It's just because we can. We climb mountains. Why? Because they're there. Human beings have an innate desire to grow, to become more. That's why we weren't satisfied as human beings to live in makeshift shelters. We build homes. We're not satisfied with, with rubbing two stones together to produce fire. We have electricity. That's why we don't bathe by the river. I mean, unless you're camping. But we have, we've created indoor plumbing. Animals are content pretty much with what they got. This is not a knock against the animals. <laughs> we love animals. This is, we're not anti-animal. This is just saying a human, a unique human quality. We seek to improve. Think about technology. Think about medicine. Think about science. Think about space exploration. We're not satisfied with the status quo. We're not content. We're always growing, always seeking something higher. And vis-a-vis -vis personal development, we always seek inner growth and betterment. That is why... It is without a doubt, it's not a question that the self-help industry is so successful. And I'll just give you some numbers in the United States alone. I think I saw these numbers based on 2022 statistics. The self-help industry in the U.S. is a $13.5 billion industry. $13.5 billion. There's a lot of money in, and that's just in the U.S., forget globally. That's a lot of money being spent on lectures, workshops, seminars, retreats, um, hot, coal, walking, uh, ceremonies, um, etc. It's all about self-improvement. It's all about self-help and becoming better. Whether it's becoming a better parent, a better spouse, a better child, a better friend, a better leader, a better teacher, a better, whatever it is, we're seeking to improve. We're not content with the status quo. Animals might be content. Yeah, you have, they build a home, they build a nest, birds have built a nest, whatever. We figured out a way to fly. Human beings have figured out a way to fly. It's, it's remarkable. It's, it's rem we take it for granted, but the human drive for betterment is absolutely stunning. And so, my friends, 
This is what we're going to talk about today. The best way. Hey, Sarah. Hey, you sure? <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to talk about today <coughs> the Rebbe's approach to self-help. Look, I'm going to save you a lot of money in the books. Um, you could still read books or whatever it is, but the Rebbe's approach is unique and very, very powerful. What I want to do now is do a quick exercise to take the pulse of, uh, of the room. And the exercise, turn back to page 144. We're going a little out of order here. Turn back to page 144. Exercise 6.1. By the way, I will tell you that we're going to revisit the same exercise at the end of the class. And we'll see if your answers have changed. But first, let me introduce the exercise by reading the instructions. Imagine that you resolve to grow in your spiritual and Jewish life. Oh, when it comes to personal growth, of course, it could be as a better human being, as a better parent, as a better uh, um, leader. And it can also be as a better Jew, spiritual growth. So let's focus now uh, for a moment on spiritual growth. So again, starting from the top, imagine you resolve to grow in your spiritual and Jewish life. Here are six activities that will carry you in that direction. Number them in the order you believe you should follow. In other words, what are the, what are the progressions of the steps? One through six. Now, here are the six, and I'm going to ask you to order them in a second. Study more Torah to gain a deeper understanding of Judaism. Study Jewish history to develop a deeper sense of connection and Jewish identity. Meditate on God to develop greater feelings for and a deeper relationship with God. Work at inspiring your fellow Jews to grow in their Jewish lives. Do another mitzvah. Attend Shabbat services. All right. I know I read this pretty quickly, but we've got a lot to talk about today. So we're moving quick. Tell me, if you will, I don't expect everyone to have the same answer, but it would be cool if if you all did. What do you think is step number one in your Jewish growth? What's step number one? Ah, no, 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 no. Don't overthink it. <laughs> Don't think W-W-T-R-D. Study more Torah. What would the Rebbe do? No. Um, this is just what? Study more Torah. Study Torah. Good. What else? What would, Ten Shabbat services. Do a mitzvah. Meditate. Meditate. Good. Study Jewish history. Jewish history. Know where this is all coming from. Yeah. Sorry? Study more Torah. Study more Torah. Good. Yeah, that was mentioned. And then... I think we have five out of six. What's the last one? Inspire, inspire someone else. Once you're good, and then you inspire someone else. Great. Okay, that, that might be a... I know not everyone had a chance to weigh in, but again, we're I'm taking... All right. More or less, you know, this is, a, uh, this is an approach. Um, okay. So here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest that by the end of today's session, we're going to have a bit of a different perspective on this, and it will come into focus as we go through the conversation. But before I share with you the Rebbe's unique approach, I want you to know that when it comes to growth, typically, and especially spiritual growth, people typically take a bottom-up and an inside-out approach. Bottom-up and inside-out. And you might be wondering, what's the bottom-up, inside-out approach? I'm glad you asked, because I'm about to share with you what the bottom-up and inside-out approach is. Bottom-up first, and then we'll talk, first we'll talk about bottom-up, and then inside-out. So let's go bottom-up. Bottom-up approach is like this. If you want to climb the mountain, well, actually, let's literally talk about climbing a mountain. If you want to literally climb a mountain, what do you need to do? Step one. Start at the top. Right. But before you start climbing, y'all, you need to do something. (laughs) Equipment. Yeah, okay. Even before you get the equipment. That's like you don't know how to play baseball, but you got the gloves on. Right? You're ready to go, but like... Yeah, you got you to gotta get in shape. 
I'm saying before training, you got to get into good shape. You have to have, you know, get on the right diet, you be eating the right foods. You got to train, right? You got to train. You got to get the right equipment. Huh? Study the mountain. Oh, that's good. Ooh. ooh. Nice. Look at that. Look at that. Study the mountain. I didn't think of that. I have to add that to my notes. Huh? What is it? Well, <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to climb it <laughs> after, after seeing it all. After taking a helicopter to the top, getting out, checking around. Oh, look at this. I'm already here. <laughs> Don't need to climb it. All right. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. So there's a lot of steps and it would be foolhardy. Anyone say that? No. It would be silly. It would be foolish to say, well, I'm just going to climb the mountain. You know, I'm going to go to Mount Everest and I'm just going to climb What's the big deal? I don't need a Sherpa. Is that what they're called? I think they're called Sherpa. I don't need, who needs a Sherpa? I'm just going to put on some boots, put on a pair of gloves, and I'm going to climb the mountain. How hard could it be? I know how to walk. That would be silly. Correct? Yeah. I mean, there are people frozen. Without getting too gory, I know we're all eating, as it were. But there are people frozen in the mountain. I've seen pictures. People who had the gear and had the training and so you can't fool around. Now that's obviously an extreme example, but the point is if you want to do something, if you, want, if you have a goal in mind, typically the way to do this is step by step, step one, step two, step three, and you can't skip steps. You skip steps, it's like a recipe. Did I ever tell you guys about the time I baked a cake in yeshiva? <laughs> all right, all right, about that time. So, man, good, good, um, good memories. So we were ba- I was baking a cake, Duncan Hines cake. You know, they make it for you. Easy one. What could go wrong? It's Duncan Hines, right? Someone told me recently that they originally had even the eggs, what, what would it be called? Powdered eggs in the mixture, but they realized that people weren't buying it because they felt like they weren't doing enough to bake it. I don't know, in yeshiva that would sell very well. Anyway, anywho, so I, I got this cake take it to my room. We had like a little toaster oven situation. I bought this, uh, no, so we we got the cake, toaster oven, got the ingredients, we're mixing it together, and I notice as the batter is getting mixed, I notice that the batter is starting to bubble, like to froth. Right. (laughs) Realized that instead of oil, like my friend had some, oh, this is so ridiculous. Only Yeshiva, you would do this. This was after Hanukkah. And my friend had like olive oil from Hanukkah still left over. So we were going to use that for the cake. It's such poor decisions. Anyway, we used it for the cake. It was in like this frosted bottle. Turns out that wasn't the oil, it was the shampoo bottle. Anyway, there was shampoo in the batter. The point is, the point is, very simple. This is a true story. We did not bake the cake. Don't worry, not that crazy, not that desperate in Yeshiva. The point of the story is, that you can't skip steps or just you know replace steps. You gotta go through the methodology. You just gotta go through the steps. This actually is also sourced, well sourced in Jewish teachings. Take a look at text number two from the uh, from uh, from the book of Psalms, a verse or verses that I think pretty much all of us are familiar with. Psalm twenty four, text two, Mindy, please take it away. Who shall ascend the mountain of God, and who shall stand in His holy place? One who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not borne my soul into vanity and has not sworn deceitfully. So take, thank you. Take a look at that. Take a look. The first sentence is a question. The second question, the second sentence is the answer. The first verse says, who shall ascend the mountain? Who shall stand in, the holy, in his holy place? And the, the spiritual mountain. And the answer is, one who has clean hands. In other words, you can't get up there 
if you're not prepared. How can you stand before God without clean hands, without a pure heart, right? With a soul that is, um, that is dabbling in vanity and with, uh, by a sense and, 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 and steeped in deceit. You just can't climb the mountain. In other words, there are what we might call prerequisites. If you want to climb the mountain of God, if you want to get, if you want to ascend spiritually, you got to take care of business. You got to, you got to clean up your act. Clean hands. Make sure you're doing the right things. Pure heart. Make sure you're feeling the right things. Um, no vanity. Not to, not to be, be, be drawn into shtuyot, into, uh, into um, things that are foolish. And not swearing deceitfully, being honest and, and making sure that our words count. So this is the way to ascend the mountain. Again, if you want to ascend the mountain, very a very um, uh, praiseworthy thing, but you got to do it the right way. Again, this is the bottom-up approach. If you want to get to the top, you have to start at the bottom and do the work until you ascend the mountain. Make sense? Yeah, kind of obvious. Take a look at text number three. Larry, please read text number three, page 147. This is the next quote from Psalms, this time Psalm 34. Turn away from evil and do good. There you go. King David writes once again in Psalms, first he says, turn away from good, and then do, uh, sorry, turn away from good, Freudian. All right, my bad. Turn away from evil and do good. And the order is precise. The first thing you do is get rid of the schmutz, get rid of the, the negativity, and then introduce the good stuff. It's like if you, any, any gardeners here, anyone that likes uh, dabbling in gardening? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, first thing you do, well, I don't know, I'm not a gardener, so then I may be just making this up. I was just ch- checking who can fact check me. That was really my question. <laughs> Kidding. So the first thing is, if you want to plant, right, the first thing is, you're planting a field or a garden, probably, probably, again, I don't know, the first thing you want to do is get rid of the weeds, right, make sure it's good, and then you plant, you know, plant inside of, uh, inside of rocks, inside of, huh? Prepare the soil. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for making this work. Oh, you don't want to get rid of the weeds? Really? It's not like a, it depends on what you're planting. All right. Well, then it may, may not work. Whatever. <laughs> Either way. Sur me means the first thing you do is get, get rid of the negative, and then you introduce the positive. What, you want to introduce the positive into the negative? I have a story that I won't share about this. Anyway, now you're intrigued, and I'm also intrigued. Should I share this story? Oh, this is so, so gross. Uh, there's a guy, there's a fellow from a shtetl in Europe, who goes to the big city and he eats by this fellow's house and this fellow is wealthy and he has a chef and he eats this food and it's amazing. And what is it? It's kishka. You know what kishka is? Yeah. How do you translate kishka? Huh? Stuffed derma. That's what it's called. Stuffed derma. Intestines. Intestines. Yeah. Kishka, uh, the kishka we buy today nowadays is typically wrapped in paper with vegetables inside, but back in the day, okay. Anyway, so, so he eats it, he's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, I must get the recipe so I can give it to my wife when I go back home and she'll make it. He gets the recipe, writes it down, checks the list twice, it is the same, I'm kidding. He checks it, right, he's, he's, he's all making sure he got everything right, goes home, gives the list to his wife. He says, please make this amazing. She makes it and it's Oh, this is so, so bad. It's terrible. Next time he travels to the big city, he eats by this fellow's house. He said, I don't understand. I followed the recipe. came out bad. What happened? He's like, did you clean out the intestine first? I told you I don't want to say it. Oh, sorry. The point is, sur me rava se tov. 
I know we just went there. Uh, all right. I'll have to edit that out. Sur merav asetov. The first thing you need to do is clean it out. And then you introduce the good. Because if you didn't clean it out, what are you introducing the good for? Like, how's the good going to help if it's, uh, if, if it's still not a desirable space? So again, all of this is the bottom, is the bottom-up approach. You got to first lay the groundwork, do the work, and then you build up to climbing the mountain to going where it is that you wish to go. That is a very logical way to progress. And the same thing is true with the other part of, uh, of the phrase. Remember I told you there was bottom and what was the second part of it? Who remembers? Inside out. What's the inside out approach? Inside out approaches also follows the same logic. The inside out approach is that before, if, if you want to influence someone else, let's say spiritually, if you want to be a good influence, what's the first thing you need to do? Yeah, you got to make sure that you're walking the walk before you talk the talk. Right? You have to make sure that you are in a good place, that you are spiritually aligned before you can work on someone else's spiritual alignment. How can you align someone else if you're not aligned? Right? That only makes sense. Take a look at text 4. Elaine, please read this one. Text 4, page 147. Again, another Jewish source that seems to indicate that these approaches are valid from a Jewish perspective as well. 147, text 4 from the Talmud. Beautify yourself and then beautify others. There you go. Who comes first? Yourself. It's, it's, it's not unlike those, uh, the old airplane, and thank you, the exactly what I was thinking, the airplane announcements, right? If uh, the cabin pressure, if we lose cabin pressure, right, the oxygen mass will deploy. They say something along those lines. And they always say to do what? First put on <laughs> your oxygen mask, and then you can assist others with their oxygen masks. In other words, you first have to make sure that you are okay, and then you can help someone else be okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, these are all logical, all make sense. You got to start, again, within personal growth. You start from the bottom and work your way up. And when it comes to influencing another, first you have to make sure that you're in a good space, and then you can be the influence on some, uh, then you can be a positive influence on someone else. All right, so that is, oh, I want to share with you just some in my notes, I want to share with you a story, uh, um, a line, a few lines, that the Kutzka Rebbe once said. He was a, a Rebbe, lived, I don't know, a few hundred, maybe 200 years ago. He was a Hasidic, uh, Hasidic master, and he was known for his very sharp statements. He said like this, when I was young, I thought I would change the world. When I got older, I decided, well, maybe I should work on my changing my city. Then when I got even older, I thought, well, maybe I'll change my neighborhood. When I got even older, I thought, well, maybe I'll change my family. And now I realized that I need to work on changing myself. There's two ways to understand this. One is cynically, and the other one is spiritually. The cynical way of understanding it is that he, you know, he, he went into life you know, in his youth, guns blazing, thinking he's going to change the world. And when he got older, he realized, ah, can't change the world. The only thing we do is change ourselves. But I don't think that that is the, the meaning of what he was saying. I think he meant something else. I think what he meant is that initially we think that we change the world by changing the world. But ultimately we realize that the way to change the world is by changing ourselves. You know like that cliche? Be the change you want to see in the world. It's kind of true. It's kind of true. So again, if you want to change the world, if you want to change someone else, change starts from within. That's how it works. Change begins from within us. 
And so again, just to kind of summarize these two ideas, the normative approach to personal and spiritual growth is you start from the bottom and you go up and you start from the inside and then you go out. Yes? Makes sense? Great. This is not the Rebbe's approach though. The Rebbe had a radically different approach. The Rebbe shared this approach in many talks. The Rebbe shared this approach in conversations with people. He shared this approach in his letters, in his advice. There are countless examples of the Rebbe's approach being fundamentally different than everything we've set up until now. And what we're going to go through is a number of these using stories and letters and videos that kind of uh, put on full display this unique approach of growth. And the Rebbe's approach, in short, was that... I'm going to paraphrase. He didn't say this. Go big or go home. (laughs) Go big. Go big. There's no time to play it safe. The time for playing it safe has long passed. We got to go big. We got to extend beyond our comfort zones. We got to leap and not walk. We got to jump, right? We got to go even if we don't feel like we're ready to go. We got to go. You know, they tell a story about a fellow who trains to be a paratrooper. And he does a bunch of training, but now it's the first jump. He goes up in a helicopter and they're all jumping, one after the other, jumping, jumping. It comes to him. So he's not, he's not moving. They're like, jump. He's not jumping. They say, let's go. You got to get out of, gotta get out of, the, out of the plane. Says, no, I'm not jumping. He says, so why are you, tra- you, you trained to be a, to be a thing? He's like, I wanted to be around brave people. Like, I wanted to hang around. That was a joke. It was a punchline. I guess it wasn't funny. The point is, the point is that sometimes you got to jump even when you don't feel like you're ready for it. This is canonized or this is captured in a beautiful, beautiful uh, um, uh, statement that the Rebbe would cite thousands of times in his talks, in his conversations, in his letters, a, a, a phrase that was coined by the fourth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Marash. And this is found in text five. I am going to read this one, text number five, page 148. Here we go. The world advises that when facing an obstacle, if you cannot go under it, you must leap over it. He says, but I maintain leap first. That means from the get-go, from the beginning, jump. Don't walk. Right? So most people, you face an obstacle. All right, how can I get around it? How can I work with it? How can I deal with it? How can I process it? The Rebbe Marash, the fourth Rebbe, and our Rebbe, you know, the, the, the Rebbe that we're focusing on in, in this series, the Rebbe quoted this many times, uh, again, literally thousands of times. It's from the beginning, from the get-go, jump and leap. There's so much to get done. There's so much good that needs to get done in this world. We don't have the luxury until everything is perfect and everything is set and everything is prepared to take the next step. We don't have that luxury, whether it's for ourselves or vis-a-vis others. And the Rebbe quoted a line from the Talmud that really shares this idea. Roberto, please read text number six, page 149. The Talmud says the following. Take it away. Page 149, text six. Talmud says, this world is like a banquet, grab and eat, grab and drink. What does that mean? 
So I want to I present the picture. Imagine you walk into a wedding hall or a banquet hall and the place is decked out and there's food without measure and there's drink without, without you know, with abandon. There's incredible amounts of food and drink. It's gorgeous and it's plentiful. But you come in late and you know that in about 15 minutes, they're shutting down this party. And when they shut it down, everyone's got to go. And there's all this food there and there's tons of food. What are you doing? <laughs> grab some plates, grab some cups, and load up, baby. Right? Grab and eat, grab and drink. The Talmud says that's this world. This world obviously doesn't mean physically. It means opportunity-wise. It means spiritually-wise. It means mitzvah-wise, Torah-wise. This world, how big is our, how, how large is our window in this world? How much time do we have? By the way, that's a trick question, yeah? No one knows how much time we have. We don't know if it's another, you know, whatever, number of years or number of whatever. No one knows the time. No one knows when a number is going to get called. So here's what we know. Here's what we do know. What we do know is that there are so many opportunities, so many things, good things that need to happen. We don't have the luxury of waiting, of standing in line. It's one thing different about driving in Atlanta or driving in New York. You ever notice? In New York, when there's an exit, there's like two or three lanes in the exit. It's like everyone's just moving. Atlanta, everyone's behind. Not that Atlanta drivers are great, I'm just saying, but like everyone's in, 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 order, in order. Sometimes it, it doesn't, it's not in our best interest to act in an orderly fashion. Sometimes you just have to move. Grab and eat, grab and drink. So what if a parent is in a train? What if what, what, what? Oh, good. So now it doesn't mean doesn't mean to go to Everest and climb without any gear. That is that is really. But what it also means is that instead of making sure everything is perfect, it means you can jump into it. It means you can you can let go a little bit and and just and, and you'll see in the in the, how the Rebbe uses this. To advise people, you'll see the context that it's used. Yeah. I um, just wanted to point out that text five is like a children's song, but going on a bear hunt song. You can't go over it, can't go under it. What should we do? Let's go through. Yeah. Song, it's, it's, if you can't go under it, can't go over it. Let's go through. This is a little bit different. This is if you can't go under it, go over, go it. over it. But either way, it's... Yeah, it's whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I remember that, right, right. that audio. Yeah. yeah. I actually love that song. I'm a huge fan of the we're going on a bear hunt song. Um, okay, so it's almost, and, and the Rebbe said this often, you know, in the generations, in the prior generations, you know, maybe there was more time to get things done. What I mean by that is, you know, uh, um, people had the luxury of working on themselves and self-improvement and studying and, and praying and meditating and fasting and becoming you know, perfectly sp- uh, you know, spiritual beings and then you know, ascending their spiritual rungs and then you know, uh, uh, becoming a mentor or a rebbe to some, you know, a spiritual mentor to someone else. That might have been in the past. But now, this generation, we're standing at the cusp of Mashiach, of, of, of the ultimate time. There's no time. To, to, to go in this very deliberate order, we have to. Chaparain. You know what that means? That's Yiddish. You know what that means? Can I just grab it? Chaparain means grab the opportunity. Grab any, huh? Grab the Gra- Yeah, just seize the day. 
Or as Nike once said, just do it. Just do it. All right, that is the Rebbe's approach. In a nutshell, we're going to see how this plays out. We're going to explore both elements. Remember we said the typical process is bottom up and inside out. We're going to see how the Rebbe advised, advocated for a different approach. Top down and outside in. Yeah? Let's start with outside in. What does the outside in approach look like? Remember, conventional wisdom says, wait till you're perfected, put on your own oxygen mask before helping another. Well, let's take a look at the Rebbe's advice in a letter from 1959. The Rebbe's advice from 1959, text 7a, page 150. Um, Jeff, you have to read it. You asked me, how can I involve myself in disseminating teachings, directives, and practices of Chabad to others when I have not yet fulfilled the dictum, beautify yourself, and only then beautify others. I have two responses to your wonder. No one's <laughs> Firstly, it is not acceptable to withhold these teachings from individuals in your surroundings simply because you are not the way you should be. After all, your personal deficiency is not there for <laughs> So hold on one second. First of all, you're right. The Rebbe didn't write this. It's a translation from the Hebrew. Someone was being very poetic, right? It's not, I just, when you said that I looked at the Hebrew, it's not, it's not, it's not that fancy. It's, it's a quandary. Um, your query can be resolved in the following two manners. Um, right. So the Rebbe is addressing, let me just set this, set, set the stage here for a second. Here's a fellow who was hesitant to teach others or to mentor others or to be an influence or to be a leader to others because he felt that he himself was not where he should be. In other words, if I'm not yet perfected in my own spiritual whatever levels, then how can I be the one to guide others? That seems, uh, that seems wrong. The Rebbe's first response is, what? Just because you're not perfect, they should suffer? That's an unbelievable observation. Along the lines, the Rebbe once told the college student on campus, he said, when you go back to campus, make sure to find some Jews and wrap film with them. So this young man says, Rebbe, I don't put on film myself all the time. He says, so but why, should they, why should they not wrap film just because you don't wrap film? That's not about you. It's about them. That's a unique approach. That's an outside-in approach. The outside-in approach is stop making this so much about you. Oh, I need my oxygen mask on before I help someone else. Who said? Who said? Okay, maybe in an airplane, sure. But again, in context, just because you're not doing everything that you feel you should be doing, you're going to withhold benefiting someone else? Why should they not have because, because of your deficiency? Again, that's, it's an incredible line. And then the Rebbe says something else. Text 7b, Yaakov, passing it to you, text 7b, 151. Here's the second point. Secondly, when you set the goal of beautify yourself, you must seek and exploit all possible methods and means of increasing your success. <clears throat> now when you are acutely aware that you will soon face numerous individuals and you will have to discuss important topics with them, the awareness that itself most certainly is will certainly assist you in your battle for self-improvement and make your victory far quicker. The Rebbe says, and as to the point of self-improvement, he's like, when you're going to be facing these other people and preaching to them, guess what? 
you're going to have to step up your own game. So that very self-improvement that you're thinking needs to come before you, you help others, that will come due to your helping others. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of fake it till you make it. Working from the outside in. This is the Rebbe's outside-in approach. Don't wait until you're, I'm perfect, I've arrived, I'm 100% where I need to be, now I can teach. Now, once I've, uh, once I've I, I, now that I know the entire Torah, I can start teaching the Aleph bet. You know what? You don't actually need to know the whole Torah. If you know an Aleph, teach an Aleph, right? That's it. Just, just teach whatever you got. Just give. I. What about your own self-improvement? That will come by giving. In other words, by being there for others, by mentoring, by educating, by guiding, by leading, it will improve yourself as well. It will actually achieve the, uh, the objective that you have of self-improvement, but it's going to happen not from the inside out, but from the outside in. I want to share with you a video. First video of the day. All right. But first, I need to... Yeah. Okay. First video of the day takes us back a number of years. The Rebbe is speaking to, this is actually a very powerful story. The Rebbe is speaking to a couple shortly before their wedding. Okay. Take a look at this video. Rabbi Meshulam Weiss and his wife Eileen were married in 1957. Three days before their wedding, they had a private audience with the Rebbe. So I gave the Rebbe the tefil, and the Rebbe looked at it, read it, and then he looked up and he said to us, Is it Yiddish? So I said, Yeah, I speak Yiddish, and I said Yiddish, and my, my Kaba, she said to the Rebbe, I understand Yiddish, but I don't speak it that well. I don't express myself that well in Yiddish. So the Rebbe said, all right, when I speak to the Chassan, I'll speak in Yiddish, and when I speak to the Kala, I'll speak in English. And that's what he did. So maybe a few seconds goes by, and all of a sudden, my wife starts to cry. And she looks at the Rebbe, and she says to him, can the Rebbe please ask the Chassan to leave the room? I want to speak to the Rebbe in private. Well, <laughs> I was in shock. I think the Rebbe was also in shock. And the Rebbe gave me a look, and I just backed out and walked out of the room. As I came out into the hallway, the Rebbe came running over and said, where's the Kala? I said, she's still inside. He said, no, 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 you can't do that. that does, we don't do it that way. I said, well, that's the way it is. What am I going to do? And um, maybe about a good 20 minutes goes by that my wife is inside with the Rebbe talking. And then um, she finishes. And she opens the door and she says, the Rebbe said you should come back in. So I come back in and uh, I forget exactly how we were talking, but we uh, more or less the Yechidus was ending at that point. And um, we started backing to the door, and the Rebbe got up from behind his desk, and he walked us to the door. And the two um, shrinkmen were waiting outside. My wife went in her way, and I went my way. And the next time I saw my wife was under the chuppah. And um, after the chuppah, we, of course, went into the 
Yichidrom. And as soon as we went into the Yichidrom, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, what did you talk to the Rebbe about in here for 20 minutes? So my wife said, well, I hope you're not upset. I told the Rebbe I want to call the wedding off. This is, remember, Thursday night, we're getting married Sunday. And the Rebbe said, why do you want to call up the wedding? So I said to the Rebbe, because I have a terrible temper. I have no patience, and I lose my temper very easily. And until now, there's something, you know, a chasam kala, he doesn't see you, he doesn't see everything, because, you know, but once we're married, it won't take long, he's going to realize he made a big mistake. He married a wrong woman, or he married a shrew, and uh, we'll probably end up in divorce. So I've been thinking about it, she said, and I decided I would rather not get married at all than get married and get divorced. So I said to what the Rebbe said. She said, the Rebbe smiled. And the Rebbe said to me, in English, the Rebbe said to me, I'm going to tell you something. The Rebbe is going to bless you with many children. And the children will teach you great patience. So there's no reason for you to call off the wedding. And until you start having the children, you should do volunteer work in the hospital, preferably with children in the hospital. And that will also help you become patient with people. And will, your, your, your temper will not be a problem. Isn't that an incredible story? But think about it. It's along the lines. Second, let me get this back. Hey, camera. Good. Follow me again. This is, uh, this is along the lines of the outside and approach. Right? You don't have to be perfect to be a, to be a wife, to get married. Right? You can, you can learn it also from the outside in. The Rebbe says, on the job training, exactly. Like the Rebbe said to this person who he, was, he, who he was charging to be a mentor, a leader, a teacher in the community. He's like, well, I'm not perfect. The Rebbe's like, yeah, don't let your lack of perfection get in the way of, of them learning something, number one. And number two, you'll learn on the job. You're being the leader, being the mentor. It will improve you. The Rebbe was telling this woman, isn't that a, it's just a great story. I'll say he's a good storyteller. <laughs> right? It's like, wow, there's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of surprises there. But when she was crying and they, they kicked him out of the room, you knew it wasn't good. But anyway, the point is that the Rebbe was saying to her, you can have, you'll have many children, please God, and they will teach you patience. Until then, volunteer in a children's hospital. And, and you will learn patience. By giving, you will exercise what it is. So again, the, the, the inside-out approach says, first I need to be patient, and then I can be a wife and mother. And the Rebbe's approach is, go out there, put yourself in that position, and it will come. Outside in. Take a leap. Take a leap. It's unbelievable. Again, it's not an isolated incident. We're going to share a few incidents today, but this is a recurring theme in the Rebbe's advice when it comes to growth and it comes to the things that we're doing. Now, Let's look at the next area of conversation, which is tzedakah. Okay, this is also, again, a parallel concept, but another application where we see the Rebbe's advice of go big, don't overthink it, 
Don't wait until you're perfectly set. Just jump into it from the outside in. Same approach the Rebbe took to tzedakah. I'm going to read this text. It's a little bit long. Text number eight. Okay? Please follow along as I read this. Page 153, text eight. A Hasidic, so the Rebbe says this in 1957. Um, yeah. A Hasidic discourse states that charity should be given in an infinite manner. This was the first time the Rebbe says that I encountered such terminology applied to giving charity. As I studied this discourse, by the way, this is very rare that the Rebbe would speak in first person about him studying and him having questions on what he studied, but this is what he's saying. He said, as I studied the discourse, I asked myself how it might be possible to give charity in an infinite manner. After all, charity entails giving money or physical resources with monetary value. How can any physical entity possibly be infinite? How can you give infinite charity? It's not possible, right? Resources are finite. How could you give infinite tzedakah? Let's, let's, let's continue. Now, Judaism delineates several standards of charitable giving. According to the typical standard of charity, we donate one-tenth of our earnings. That is considered the proper minimum margin. Then there is the standard of one-fifth, which is considered to be a generous margin of charity. Finally, there is the standard of charity referred to as charity by judgment, whereby we judge ourselves honestly to determine the amount we require to sustain our own existence so we can donate everything beyond that amount to charity. Okay, so three levels. According to the latter standard, our charity is not defined by a specific percentage. It is neither a tenth nor a fifth, nor even a specific figure greater than a fifth. Nevertheless, in the final analysis, even such giving has a limit. For even if we were to give away all that we possess, it would still add up to a quantifiable sum. Again, it would still be finite. So again, the Rebbe is struggling with understanding what is the, the meaning of giving infinite tzedakah. How can it be infinite? If it's a tenth, it's finite. If it's a fifth, it's finite. If it's even whatever I don't need to, to, to live on, I'm going to give away, that's also finite. So we're, what's infinite? Rather, the Rebbe says, there is an entirely different approach to giving charity, whereby we do not consider ourselves at all. Instead, as soon as we encounter someone in need, our response is to immediately resolve that need, however large it may be, without considering whether we own that amount or not. In other words, the degree to which we feel the pain of our fellow and relate to their need is infinite, unequivocal, and unconstrained, so that there is no room for any calculations whatsoever regarding our personal means. We have but one consideration we must provide, the needy individual with the amount they require. If we do not have that sum ourselves, we'll put every effort into obtaining it. And when we truly make this resolve, Hashem, God, will certainly assist us in fulfilling this mitzvah. The Rebbe says that infinite tzedakah is not quantity, it's a quality. What's the quality? The quality is like this. Do I approach tzedakah by saying, here's my budget, here are my means, here's what I can give? Or is the approach, there's a need out there, we need to make it happen. And either I'm going to foot the bill or get others to foot the bill, but the approach is, it must get done. In other words, it's not focusing on me first, it's focusing on the need first. It's, a, it's, a, it's an absolute quantum shift in approach. It's not inside out. Oh, this is my budget. This is what I can give. It's outside in. It's like, this is the need. Let's make it happen. Either I'll cover the whole thing or I'll get others to cover the whole thing. But it's a mindset. Does this make sense? That's infinite charity. Infinite charity means there's no end to the vision of what needs to be done. Obviously, <laughs> there's a limited amount of causes, but it means in how we're looking at it, we're not starting from our limited perspective. Yeah. I think everybody's response 
Correct. Correct. It's like we need. Here's the need. Here's the need. Here's the need. What do I have? We'll figure that out. Here's the need. Let's take care of it. Let's take care of the need. The Rebbe had this approach also. Ah, there's a video. Okay. Oof, I was about to lean into the secret about success. We'll get there soon. No, we'll, we'll do a video. Okay, so now, again, let me stop this. Let me make sure that this stops. Okay, perfect. Good. Second video. Right, right. Take a look at this. This is a beautiful video where the Rebbe shares this approach of looking at the other first. Rabbi Moshe Tzur is the founder and administrator of a number of educational and charitable institutions in Jerusalem. In 1969, he was serving in the Israeli Air Force. He was in Birgat Rafa without any good conditions and good food. One day, stopped uh, travelers and gave to each one of us a package. It's a Chak Purim Sameach from the Rebbe Milubavich. And we all was wondering who is the Rebbe. And it was like a Fata Morgana in the middle of the desert to receive a piece of candy and uh, regarding uh, from somebody that really cared for you. And we, I was very impressed. On 1971, in the Milchemet Atasha, one day Chabad people asked us to put a tefillin. But at that time, you don't know if it's Monday or Tuesday or Shabbat. And all of a sudden, somebody asked you to put a tefillin. So when I started to say Kriyat Shema, he tried to say it, Shema Israel, and I, I knew it, so I said it like, like fluently, and then I got crying because it was very emotional for me, and since that days, I, I got uh, back to my, my like religions. When I come to Chicago, I... Uh, Got to know Rabbi Daniel Moskovich, he should rest in peace. I become very close to Lubavitch community and to Chabad. And he used to come to my warehouse every Friday in the morning. And one time they honored me in some dinner that the Chabad house did. And I was twice in Ityachdut with the Rebbe. And uh, one time he asked me what I'm doing, and I had an idea to be helping some more Jewish community. And he was telling us how is important the mitzvah of the to love the others just like you love yourself. And the Rebbe was like asking a question. Why is the heart of the person, of the human being, is in the left side? Because in Judaism, the right is the chesed. If it's so important, why Hashem didn't make the human being create that the heart will be on the right side and not in the left side? So the Rebbe is rest in peace. He said that when a Jew look at the other, he have to know that the heart is for the others. Because when I look at you, your heart is in my right hand, and my heart is in your right side. 
So when the heart is of the other, then you really make the mitzvah of because the heart is not for you. The heart is always for the others. Since then, thank God, I uh, came back to Israel and I established two important yeshivot and four kolinim. And I think that the Rebbe definitely did a, a very important uh, message in, in me and in my mission as a Jew. He changed all my perspective about life. Powerful about the heart, right? Rabbi asked the question, why is the heart on the left side? It should be on the right side. It's on the right side of the other one. Your heart's not for you, it's for the other one. Unbelievable, right? An unbelievable concept. Your heart is not for you. The love is meant to be extended else, um, outside. And again, just to circle back to the Tzedakah and this idea of to go big and to, to, go, to go counterintuitively. Again, the intuitive way is to say, well, Here's what I can give. I'll give. I'll give, you know, whatever I can. The other way is to say, it's not about what I have. Here's the need. It must get done. So either I'll foot the bill, I'll, I'll make it happen, I'll rally the troops, I'll create a campaign, whatever it is, we're going to get it done. And I think we've seen this with Israel and with other causes as well, and it's an amazing thing. So this is the Rebbe's approach. Um, third area, the third example of this outside-in approach is Chabar. Chabar. <laughs> How are most organizations run? <laughs> you know, there was, a, there was a fellow who uh, uh, the rabbi said, says to this fellow, hey, why don't you come to synagogue? He's like, rabbi, I don't like organized religion. The rabbi says, it's a Chabad synagogue. There's nothing organized about this. Anyway, no, but all jokes aside, <laughs> right? So all jokes aside, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Most organizations, most Jewish organizations, they start off with a budget, and then based on the budget, that's what they can do. That's the programming they can do. What's the Chabad model? And this is not just what happened to evolve. This is, well, I'm about to read a letter, I'll read it, from 1951, which is shortly after the Rebbe became Rebbe in 1951, where the Rebbe says, the model is, don't start with your budget and then figure out how much you can do. Start with the outside in. What needs to be done? And then that's how much you need to raise. Why are you just telling me this now? <laughs> this, should, this should have been your initiation into uh, the presidentship of the synagogue. Do, well, not necessarily do it, but, or, or do it, but don't start with, well, this is what I have. So then we can, you'll see the context. The context of Text 9 is a school, a Jewish school in Montreal, Canada. And the Rebbe writes a letter to the administration about the budget and about the students. Look, look at the letter. I'm going to read this. In regard to the discussion at your meeting concerning the deficit in the issue of his budget, I have already addressed this in my earlier conversation with you here in New York. Up until now, you tried to run things in a limited way, i.e. to direct your spending in accordance with your income. You should now try the opposite approach. <laughs> look what he says. He says, up until now, you're spending what you have. Try something else. It's crazy to think this. Well, there you go. Look at this. 
you should now try the opposite approach. That is to endeavor to increase your income in accordance with the needed expenses. This is in accordance with the saying by the Rebbe Marash, the one that we quoted before, which was given over by my father-in-law, the Rebbe, in the name of his father. The world advised that if you cannot go under an obstacle, you must leap over it. I maintain, leap, over, leap first with the proper determination. In other words, go big. Go big. He was basically advising the yeshiva as follows. Don't start with, well, this is my income. You know, this is my budget. This is, the, oh, this is all we, these are all the students we can accept. How many kids need a Jewish education? Start there. Yeah, start with the big picture. How many kids need a Jewish education? Great. How much will it cost? Great. That's what you need to raise. That's it. That's how Chabad runs. So from the beginning, that's how Chabad runs. So yes, it would make sense to start from the inside out. This is what I have. This is what I can do. But that's not l'chat chila river. That's not, that's not going big. That's not going for broke. Not literally. That's not, right? That's not, that's not thinking from the outside in. That's thinking from the inside out. That's playing it safe. The Rebbe did, said we don't have time to play it safe. Right? There's so much that needs to get done. The doors are closing, right? It's everything must go. Well, I don't know what that means exactly in this context, but we got to move. We got to rally the troops. And if we're rallying the troops, you know what that means? That means that we got to go big. And going big means not to get stuck in limited considerations. Okay, make sense? Yeah? Go big or go home. By the way, there are other examples of this that I noticed. I don't always read these supplementary letters, but oh my gosh, I saw one this morning that I loved. Where is it? Um, the Rebbe says it's about having kids. I'm sure you've noticed that Chabadniks have taken this <laughs> literally. <coughs> I mean, the, the average, the normal person says, well, this is what I can, these are the amount of children that I can afford. Chabadniks are like, all right, we'll just figure it out. Um, the, uh, but the Rebbe writes in this letter, page 164. Do you guys see that? 164? It's got a paper clip by it? Is that? No? Yes? 164? You asked, man, I'm telling you, ever since it hits 45? You asked, no, literally, you asked whether it is advisable to invest in the purchase of a large and beautiful building for the yeshiva or whether it is preferable to initially make do with a more modest building. You with, you with me? You know what the Rebbe is going to answer by now. Go big or go home. And don't go home. Go big. Right. Should we go with a big building or should we start off with a modest building? There is a famous saying of the Rebbe Marash. The world claims that if you cannot crawl under an obstacle, try to leap over it. However, I say we should leap over in the first place. We are also taught that when we proceed with determination, the results fall into line. I'm therefore certain that if you pursue the option of the large building with the necessary determination, you will be successful. That is Rebbe's response. Basically, go big. Go big. Okay. Yes. I really remember seeing the letter from Rama also where the Rebbe was like wrote to a school. He wasn't happy that they were within budget. Interesting. Like if you're within budget and you're doing something wrong, like you're so nervous. (laughs) And he, I know this because I worked at a school and we were discussing one time we were very much out of budget and the Rebbe was all for like, like you should, if you're doing in budget and you're so precise, then you're limiting the. Powerful. Possibly. The Rebbe wanted. The Rebbe created an organization. 
that is not just entrepreneurial, which is true. It's not just independently owned and operated, i.e., the idea that it can pivot and respond to the needs of the specific community. It's not bogged down by any, you know, any red tape or whatever. In addition to all of that, the Rebbe's call was respond to the need and, and figure it out. And obviously, figure it out. You can't not figure it out. You have to figure it out. But the first thing should be not my issues or not my limitations. The first mindset should be what, what is needed. What, what does the community need? What do the children need? What, is the, you know, what, is the, what do the people need? And then work back inside. Now that's all outside in. Let's talk about top down. Remember we talked about personal growth. Personal growth, typically you, um, you scale up, you, you build a foundation, and then you, you climb the mountain from the ground up. The Rebbe also said and taught that, that when it comes to spiritual growth, a top-down approach is also, um, is for us now, today, is the ideal approach. Top-down, um, and I'll tell you what that means. Remember we quoted from the book of Tehillim from Psalms, Sur Meirava Asetov, um, turn away from evil and do good. And we said step one is get rid of the negative. Step two is introduce the good. Remember, we talked about that. The Rebbe taught that it now, in our, that was good for King David maybe you know, a few thousand years ago. But today, when there's so much darkness in the world, we don't have time to fumigate, to get rid of all the negativity. We don't have time. What we need to do now is flood, flood the world with light, bring in more light and more goodness. Do good, then we'll worry about getting rid of the negativity. The truth is, the more good we do, the more the negativity will itself dissipate. That was the Rebbe's approach, and he even tied it into the first two plagues. We all know the plagues, right? The ten plagues? All right. What's the first plague? The plague of? Blood. Second plague is the plague of? Frogs. What happened with blood? The Nile River turned to blood. What happened with frogs? The frogs were everywhere, including in the ovens. The Rebbe says, look at what's going on. That's what it says. Yeah, it says that even went betanarehim. The Torah says it even went. Torah specifies to show just how prevalent and how pervasive they even went into the ovens. So Rebbe says, first of all, it's a weird detail to share, right? That's like a little bizarre, very highly and, and, and confusingly specific. Rebbe says, there's a, there's a message here. Take a look at what happens with the first plague and the second plague. The first plague is the river turns to blood. Rivers are cold and blood is hot. So you take something that's cold and you heat it up. The second plague is the opposite. Frogs are cold-blooded and ovens are hot. You, you introduce coldness into the heat. The Rebbe says, what's the message? The first thing is in life, when we're stuck in Egypt, in our own personal Egypt, step one is get hot. Step one is do good. Step two is in other words, get warm, get excited about holiness, a mitzvah. Do a mitzvah, study Torah, do something positive, right? Get spiritually hot. Second step is cool down the negative. So it's not first cool down the negative, get rid of the negative, then do good. It's first do good and then address the negative. Take a look at text 10. I'm sure the Rebbe writes, uh, says it better than I just re, uh, um, reviewed it. Text 10, I'll read this quickly, 156. All of the narratives included in the Torah serve as directives and guidance for all generations to come. Similarly, the Torah's account with the plague of blood representing warmth and passion for doing good, preceding the plague of frogs representing dispassion for negative matters, directs us to follow suit. We must focus on doing good right from the start. As the Rebbe Marash said, Again, we see this. The Rebbe quoted this at every turn. The world advises that when facing an obstacle, 
We can almost say this together as a chant, right? If you cannot go under it, you must leap over it. I maintain, leap first. Consequently, we also need this approach of leaping over in the sense of immediately working to reveal an abundance of light that will consequently on its own dispel the darkness. In other words, it's not like we're ignoring the darkness, but we're working from the top down. Instead of saying, well, let's prepare prepare the ground, do all the groundwork, all the surveying, all the, you know, the getting, getting the field ready, and then we'll plant. Just plant, and the field will get ready on its own. I, I'm not suggesting this in actual planting. I'm suggesting this in personal work, in, in personal and spiritual growth. Do the work, right? Introduce the light, and the darkness on its own will dissipate. That is the message. And the Rebbe also used this approach when it comes to uh, um, the order that we go within the realm of Kedusha, within the realm of holiness itself, within uh, 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 the spiritual or the Jewish um, growth, what should go first, what should go second. So typically, remember I asked you to do that, uh, to rank those things of spiritual, like what comes first. And a lot of you guys said, well, I don't know, we kind of just had a, a bit of a you know, conversation, uh, a group conversation. Um, but I think of the theme that emerged then was, well, first you need to study. Then you need to meditate, get yourself ready. And then you can do a mitzvah, and then you can help someone else. Well, as you know by now, the Rebbe says opposite. Help someone first. Help someone first. If you're not putting on tefillin, put on tefillin with someone else. Guess what? You'll also start putting on tefillin, and they're putting on tefillin. A two instead of a zero. Right? Now two people are putting on tefillin instead of zero people putting on tefillin. So that's number one. Go outside of yourself, start with them, and then work back with you. That's number one. Number two is don't wait until... People ask me all the time, like, wait, so how could you put on tefillin with somebody on the street? Say, hey, are you Jewish? Let's wrap tefillin. You have to learn with them, study Torah, what's the importance of tefillin, what does it mean to be a Jew, and then when they're ready, they could do a mitzvah. Yeah, that's not what the Rebbe taught. The Rebbe's approach was, just go in. Just go in, do the mitzvah, go big, jump in, l'chatchila ariber, jump over it. Leap first. Go in. Um, let's take a look at text 11 quickly. We could argue that in order for a Jew to begin performing mitzvot and drawing closer to God, they need to first learn about Judaism and about the laws and the mitzvot of the Torah. They especially need to learn about God, his relationship with the world in general, his special relationship with the Jewish people. They also need to understand the significance of the mitzvot in general and of each specific mitzvah. In other words, we could argue that in order to do, a mitzvot, to do mitzvot, a person requires a proper introduction and training, comprehensive knowledge, Etc. Only once that has been achieved is it possible to proceed with, the, with observing the mitzvot in the proper way as befits the commandment of God. To counter this argument, the Torah shares the story of Abraham. God told Abraham, Lech Lecha, go from your land. At that point, in the narrative, the Torah has not, had not informed us at all about Abraham's virtues and achievements. And that is precisely the lesson for us. The very foundation and starting point of Abraham's coming close to God is when God told Abraham, go. It begins with an action. He had to do something to carry out a divine command in actuality. A relationship doesn't begin in the head. It begins with action. Sometimes we get stuck. And I will tell you, sometimes we use um, preparation and study and all that stuff and, and, and personal refinement as an excuse to not do the, to not do the action. It's like, oh, I can't do the mitzvah yet. I don't know enough about it. We use that as an excuse or as a crutch to enable inaction. I want to share with you one more video. This is a very powerful video. Gordon Zacks, I believe is his name. He was the head of the United Jewish Appeal um, back in the day. His mother was, and I'm sure you may know this name, his mother was a woman named Florence Melton. Do you know that name? Florence Melton of the Melton Institute, okay? 
They were, um, she created, she was an entrepreneur. She created, she lived in Bixby, um, like Columbus, Ohio. She created deer foams. Deer, this, the deer foams, the slippers, the slippers. They had a pen for like a number of years, like 35 years, and then it ran out, so now everyone makes them. Right, fuzzy slippers with padding. Okay, that's nothing to do with the story. Here's the story. All right. Oh, wait. Sorry, I went to the wrong one. Sorry. Sorry. Here we go. In 1969, Mr. Gordon Zacks was chairman of the UJA's Young Leadership Cabinet. Shortly after delivering a keynote address to 3,000 communal leaders from across the U.S. and Canada, he was informed that the Rebbe wished to meet with him. I'm escorted into the Rebbe's study. <laughs> and I'll never forget it if I live to be a hundred. This man, he, I mean, there are books piled all the way to the ceiling, all around the office. He stands up. He has these penetrating blue eyes, crystal clear eyes. His skin is almost translucent. I mean, not a wrinkle, just an incredible, peaceful, penetrating look in his eye. He said, Mr. Zacks, I have read your speech. It is clear to me that you have taken good care of your mind. I can look at you, and it's clear to me that you've taken good care of your body. What are you doing for your soul, Mr. Zacks? That was the opening to the conversation, which lasted an hour and a half. So he says, he says, do you believe in revelation? I said, I believe in God, but I'm not sure I believe in revelation. I believe that the Bible was inspired by God. But I, I, I haven't yet accepted the fact that it's word for word written by God. Now listen to this. I mean, this is this this is what it really gets amazing. He says, Mr. Zacks, your problem is you're trying to think yourself to God. You can't think yourself to God. You have to experience the why, the how of being Jewish. And in the living of a Jewish lifestyle, you will discover God. He's within you. But you're trying to connect to him through your head. You have to connect to him through your heart. And you can't get there through your head. You gotta get there through experience. He says, let me send a member of my community to live with you for a year and teach you how to be Jewish. If at the end of the year you find God in your soul, in your heart, you have achieved the greatest gift that you'll ever have in life. You've got to release yourself 
from this mental approach to life and God and come with me in this journey of the heart. No. No. I don't know. You know, he, he didn't do it. His daughter became uh, Baal Shuvah. Daughter became religious. Yeah. There's an amazing, <coughs> it's not here, it's an amazing video um, uh, where he comes in front of the Rebbe for, like, by dollars, where the Rebbe was giving out dollars and, you know, short conversations and, and blessings. And um, he says, Mr. Zachs, um, I believe the last time we, well, what are you doing on behalf of Jewish education? I believe the last time we spoke, we spoke about you know, your efforts on behalf of Jewish education. He says to the Rebbe, you are amazing. Like he stops like dumbstruck. He's like, you are amazing. How do you remember a conversation from, that was, he says that was 19 years ago. How do you remember a conversation from 19 years ago? And the Rebbe says, what is the benefit to the community that I'm amazing? <laughs> I'm amazing, so what? <laughs> what are you gonna do for Jewish education? <laughs> He's like, how do I cash that in? Right? I'm amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah. Moving on. What are we going to do for Jewish education? The Rebbe was all about tachlis. You know what the word tachlis means? Bottom line. Bottom line. You can study, you know, ad infinitum. You can, you know, meditate. You can do all these things. And all of these things are good. And in prior generations, sure, that was, that, we indulged in all that stuff. But today, now, we live in a world in which more than ever, action is king. And the world needs our good actions. And so, my friends, this is the Rebbe's approach to personal growth, to spiritual growth. It's outside in and top down. When the world says no, you have to climb the mountain from the bottom up. Don't put on tefillin until you know about Judaism, until you've studied, until you've learned, until you're, you feel ready, until you understand the value of the mitzvah. Until then, don't do it. And the world says, until you're, you're in a good place, how could you, how could you um, uplift someone else? That's what the world says. The Rebbe said, and that's even what some Jewish texts say, as we quoted in the beginning of the class. But the Rebbe said, times have changed. And today, we got to go a little bit out of the box. We got to go big. And that means don't take yourself so seriously. Don't let your shortcomings hold you back from being there for someone else. Whether it's in mentorship, whether it's in tzedakah, whether it's in running an organization leadership, doesn't don't make it about you. Focus first on what's needed, get it done, and then the resources will come. And the Rebbe likewise said, when it comes to personal growth, you don't have to wait until you feel ready to then do the right thing. Do the right thing right away. And you know what? You'll start feeling better. You'll start feeling You'll, you'll learn from the experience itself. And so, my friends, this takes us to the end of today's class and to the end of the series. Over the last six weeks, we've seen the Rebbe's very unique approach to the biggest questions and, and the biggest areas of life. We saw the Rebbe's approach and advice to business, to family, to health, to mental and emotional wellness, to challenge and adversity. And today, we saw the Rebbe's approach to growth, to growth. Growth doesn't need to happen incrementally. We can go big. We live in a quantum world, right? We live in a world where we can unleash big energy with the push of a button. Let's go big. And so 
May today's class and may this course inspire all of us to take on one more mitzvah, maybe one that requires us to stretch. But as we've seen today, stretching is part of growth. It's growing from the top down or from the outside in. What I'd like to draw your attention to is page 161. And here on page 161, there's a nice little uh, image, figure 6.1, and it lists the 10 mitzvah campaigns. You should know, listen, if, if we were really doing a comprehensive study about you know, the Rebbe's life and times and teachings and leadership and counsel, there would be a lot more to talk about. We could do a full year on this. But what the Rebbe, part of the Rebbe's leadership style is that uh, pretty much every year there was a new campaign. You know, like, um, you know, in the Chinese calendar, there's like the year of the dragon. The, year, the Rebbe was like, this is the year of tefillin, the year of Shabbat candles, the year of uh, kosher, the year of Jewish books. The Rebbe said, let's, let's get people energized, one mitzvah, not to the exclusion of any other mitzvah, but one mitzvah that we're going to focus on and, and really push. And so here you see the 10 mitzvah campaigns that the Rebbe launched over the years. One is about lighting Shabbat and holiday candles. Um, next, number two, put on tefillin during the weekday. Number three, kosher mezuzot on your home, uh, on your doors. Uh, four, studying Torah. Five, giving tzedakah. Six, Jewish books at home. Seven, kosher. Eight, um, Jewish education. Nine, loving one's fellow. And that's a very broad category that you know, includes many acts of chesed and kindness. And number 10 is the mitzvah of family purity, taras mishpacha. Um, mikvah, etc. That these are the ten mitzvah campaigns. Again, not to the exclusion of any other ones. But if you're if you're wondering, if you're looking for maybe a list or maybe like a starting point, like which mitzvah I'm inspired to just jump into a mitzvah. What mitzvah should I jump into? Here's a list, a top ten list. <laughs> I mean, who's ranking? By the way, the Rebbe would never rank. He would never have said, "Oh, this mitzvah is better." Whatever. If you listen. If you're in front, if you're at the banquet and they're closing the door and they're cleaning up, and you're in front of the, and you're in front of this part of the buffet, grab what's there. There's a famous story. I, I, I just, I, I'm going to wrap up, but I just want to tell one more story. This is um, at, at the times back in the day when people were thrown in debtors' prisons. If you couldn't pay a debt, they would, you know, they would take you and throw you into into a prison. So there was a fellow, a Jewish fellow, who was in one of these prisons. And um, he got permission to go home for one day where he could, you know, be free and be at home and go to shul and whatever. So he sent a letter. He sent a letter, sent a letter to the rabbi. He said to the rabbi, this is a great rabbi. He sent a letter to the rabbi. He said, what day should I pick? Yom Kippur, Passover, Hanukkah. What's the best day to pick? You know what the answer was? Today. First opportunity. And it's not just because maybe he'll change his mind. The message is, there's energy, grab, grab it now, seize the day, right? Carpe diem, seize the day. Don't wait for tomorrow, seize the day. This was the Rebbe's approach. The Rebbe had an energy. The Rebbe shared this energy. I think Chabad, as I'm sure you've, you've noticed, exudes this energy, the energy of doing and creating a commitment to others, not looking at oneself first, but looking at the need first, and not holding ourselves back based on any prerequisites, but just jump in. And, of course, to encourage others to do so. So I would, along those lines, recommend that not only to take on or increase in one of these mitzvot or any others, but to then do the next step, which is share that with someone else. Bring someone else in to that. And so I want to thank all of you for being part of this journey together.
the six-week journey. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've learned from it, and I hope you've grown from it as I have. Um, certainly, this has been a meaningful experience for me, and uh, this is a, a really beautiful way to prepare ourselves for the 30th anniversary of the Rebbe's passing, 1994, which is coming up this summer. So there is another video. I'll, I'll show, I'm going to close out and then I can show it. I also do want to mention that Elaine sent me a, a letter um, that her father, that the Rebbe sent to, to her father. And can I read an excerpt? Yeah, but I was going to tell you. Yeah. Right, that's why I want to read it. So this is a letter. This is not, a, look, we saw people and we heard people and we read you know, letters. This is literally, Elaine sent me this last week in email. I have the letter, the PDF. It's on my phone. It's right here. I'm going to read this. This is a letter that you, that you, your family has. The letter is written to Mr. Shmuel Silverman. That is your, your father. 3625 Saratoga Drive, Nashville, Tennessee. Right? Your family was living in Nashville. Here's the Rebbe's response. Again, we don't have, I mean, do you have the original letter? The letter, the letter from my father to the Rebbe was, um, he was confused. He wanted, in Nashville, the Jewish education went to sixth grade, and that's where I was. My older sister never had Jewish education because the school, she was always two grades ahead of the school. So he wanted to move the family to Memphis, which is where my mother's from. And his, his question had Jewish education all the way from high school. And his question was, you know, he's lived in Nashville all his life. He has his business, he has his family, he has his friends. Does he pick up and move? And, and, and what if I get to Memphis and I find I'm in the same position? Like the kids are not aspiring to the Jewish education they're getting, etc. And there's the Rebbe's answer. Greeting and blessing. I received your letter on, of November 22nd, which, uh, again, this, the year was 65. 1965. Tevet. It was at 64. 64. 64. Okay. Right before 65. I received your letter of November 22nd, which reached me with considerable delay. I don't know what that means. You write about your back. I guess it didn't end up on the Rebbe's desk um, until then. Uh, you write about your background and ask what should be your plans for the future on the basis of your description of the situation. Again, this is a real person. <laughs> it's your father. It was about you. On the basis of your description of the situation, it is self-evident that the deciding factor with regard to your plans should be the ability to arrange your life in accordance with the precepts of our Torah, Torah Aschayim, the Torah of life. And as my father-in-law of saintly memory explained, this means that the Torah is not only the guide in life, but also the source of true life and happiness. And while it is a must for its own sake, it is well to bear in mind that the Torah and mitzvot are also the channels through which to receive God's blessings in all of one's needs, materially and spiritually. In your case, this consideration is even more compelling in view of the ages of your children who are at an impressionable age and are bound to be influenced consciously and even more so subconsciously by their environment and especially by the parents themselves. In view of the above, it is advisable to make the change as soon as possible. Talk about a direct answer to a big life question. It is also, that was paragraph one. Paragraph two, it is also self-understood that I am speaking not only of factors 
related to the education of your children, but also to the matter of a kosher parnasa, a kosher livelihood. Inasmuch as we have been assured that he who is determined to purify himself receives help from on high, you may be quite confident that if you will make a firm resolution to follow the right course, you will find that the difficulties, if any, are much smaller than they are imagined or appear to be and should be overcome with proper energy and determination. I guess what he's saying is that if he makes the move and does the right thing, the money will come. I think that's what he was saying. But I, uh, I don't even know what he was talking about money. Okay. Um, All right. But As, your goals will be achieved. Your goals will be Okay. As a matter of fact, this is also one of the basic teachings of Hanukkah, which we've just celebrated, and with which we start the present month. For Hanukkah recalls the victory of the weak over the strong. And so every person may have habits which have become strong by their long duration by comparison with which his new convictions or insights may be weak. However, where there is a firm resolution, it is possible to bring about the victory of the weak over the strong. The effort, however, must be a steady one and one that goes from strength to strength, as is further emphasized by the teachings of the Hanukkah lights, which we kindled in growing numbers each night of Hanukkah. With blessing, and the Rebbe signs his name. Powerful. It's a powerful letter to move to Memphis. I thought he was going to tell him to start, start the Jewish education in Nashville. Like, well, we didn't make the school. We did, but we went to sixth grade. But make it... Go Keep on going. Okay, but that wasn't that wasn't possible. Sometimes you gotta do. But anyway, here's the here's an example of the Rebbe saying basically, it might be it's it's difficult, right? It's difficult. You know, are we ready to move? You gotta go for it. This is the need. You gotta respond to the need. Just gotta jump in. It's gonna be a lot of change. Take the leap. Exactly. That's what. Right. I was thinking that. Take the leap. Any. Annie. Annie. Jessica. Good to see you, Jessica. Annie. You're wonderful. Thank you. You are wonderful. You're wonderful for being here and to many more classes and good health together. All right. Good, good, good. Um, how does that help the grade? How do, bottom line, how do we cash that in? <laughs> what do we do with What can I do with that? So what's the, what's the point? So the point of this is leap. And I, again, I, I know I thank you already a few times, but I really want to thank you for sharing that letter. It's so beautiful to see a personal letter. I mean, all of these are personal letters, but a personal letter right here. You're, and you, you then, you moved to Memphis. We moved to Memphis, um, and we went through Jewish education through high school. Was it already set up, or you don't have a set up? It was set up in, in Memphis. It was established. It was also a small community, but it had more thriving Jewish education. How many Jews were in Nashville at the time? Did he help um, establish it in Nashville? It was already established. In Nashville, yes. It was called Akiva School. So, thank you all for coming. I must mention the next course. This is unbelievable. Speaking of grabbing food, this is the next course. Right. The next course is called Decisions of Fate. By the way, we're going to be doing other courses in between. This is the next formal JLI course is called Decisions of Faith, Your Jewish Compass for Navigating Questions of Medical Ethics. Jewish Medical Ethics. I mentioned this at the top. This is, it's going to be an amazing course. We've done, yeah, we've done a few before. Um, uh, um, this course is accredited to offer credits for doctors. Literally, doctors need continuing education CME credits. This is certified by medical boards 
I will be, you can come to my Torah class and get medical credits. What is happening in this world? It's unbelievable. Plus, if you're a lawyer, you can get legal credits, CLE credits. It is approved by the State Bar of Georgia to give credits, both legal and approved by medical boards to give medical, um, to give medical uh, credits for doctors. But if you're not a doctor, or if you're not a lawyer, that's also okay. You're absolutely, neither am I. You're absolutely welcome to, to join and to enjoy. Topic number one is experimental treatments. Number two is extending life. Three is pregnancy questions. Four is a body's dignity. Four topics, four conversations, four unforgettable Torah lessons. Please join me for that. And of course, we have plenty of opportunities before then. We have, a spe- we have speakers coming in over the next few weeks. We have more classes and opportunities. Stay tuned for the emails going out about all this good stuff. I want to thank you all for coming out over this, uh, this course. Thank you all. You guys have been amazing. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. I want to wish you all lots of love and lots of peace, lots of happiness, lots of good health, and only blessings.